if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you once again to open with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> there was once a rather legalistic seminary student who wanted to live his life in such a way that he had a scriptural basis for everything he did. He felt like if he had a Bible verse for every action, he would always be on good footing. And he did all right in this until he met a beautiful co-ed. He wanted so much to kiss her, but yet he could not find a Bible verse that would let him. Um, so true to his conscience, he would simply go on a date. He would walk her to her dorm each night. He would look at her longingly and say, good night. This went on for several weeks, all the while he was searching the Bible for a verse that would allow him to kiss her good night. Uh, one evening... As he walked her to the dorm once again, ready to just bid her good night, she grabbed him, uh, pulled him towards her, and planted a 10-second kiss right on his lips. At the end of the kiss, the seminary student gasped for air and then stammered, Bible verse, I need a Bible verse. The girl grabbed him a second time and just before kissing him again said, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Probably not the context of what Jesus had in mind when he said it, but now with that verse ringing in your ears, we are going to continue our journey uh, through Matthew chapter 7, a journey that we are calling Foundations, where Jesus shows us how we need to respond in dealing with each other, and then Jesus ends the chapter by showing us how we must respond um, ultimately to his word. These are, that we're seeing in Matthew 7, are foundational truths that must be foundational in our lives. And if they are not foundational in our lives, then Jesus in the end tells us that we are building our lives upon a foundation that could crumble at any moment. And before we jump into the word this morning, I, I want to play a little game with you. And I, I'm, you'll, you'll see what I mean in just a second. We live in a culture that oftentimes uh, attributes sayings to the, to the Bible that really aren't in the Bible. The Bible may be a revered book to some in our culture, but the Bible is also the, mo the most misquoted book in our culture. Politicians, motivational speakers, um, coaches, even ministers uh, quote passages that aren't in the Bible. So I'm going to give you a few, and I'm going to let you kind of choose whether you think that saying is in the Bible or not. You can just kind of um, internally answer, so you don't have to shout out yes or no. You can just internally answer, or if you just want to shake your head yes or no, and we'll let you just play along right where you are. So the first is this. God helps those who help themselves. Now, of course, that is not in the Bible. Um, that is, in fact, opposite of what the Bible teaches us, where Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, how about this one? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Okay, that is not in the Bible, although that is a great, great phrase to live by. So just so we know, not biblical, yet very useful and very needful. How about this one? Love covers a multitude of sins. Okay, that one, praise God, is in the Bible, and we are so thankful for his grace in that. How about this? Money is the root of all evil. Okay, that is not in the Bible, um, instead, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. What about don't worry, be happy? Okay, uh, although that, that is not in the Bible, although Jesus did tell us time and time again, do not worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. Seek first the kingdom 
of God. How about this? Spare the rod, spoil the child. Now, unfortunately, that is not in the Bible. Um, I know some of you are shocked by that, and maybe you might spend the rest of your days today looking that up, but that, even though the principle is in the Bible, that phrase is not in the Bible. Instead, Proverbs 13, 24 says, the one who spares his rod hates his child. What about this? The lion shall lay down with the lamb. That is not in the Bible. I know we're shocked here. Instead, the Bible says that the wolf is going to dwell with the lamb. Um, shocking things here. So even pastors have said some of these, as I said. What about this? This too shall pass. Okay, that is not in the Bible. The Bible does say at times this came to pass or it came to pass, but um, it doesn't really say this too shall pass. If we're not careful when we walk through things, all we're looking for is just to get it over with instead of what God might be trying to teach us through it. What about this one? God won't give you more than you can handle. Let me just say that this is not in the Bible. I'm, I'm, I know this is probably one of the most quoted ones today. God won't give me more than I, I can handle. Let me just say this. If God never gave you more than you could handle, you would never trust him. You never have a reason to trust him. Now, the Bible does say that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle. But with every temptation, the Bible says God has made a way of escape. And that way of escape is, as we just saying, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Follow the footsteps of Jesus. And then how about this one? Do unto others before they do it to you. Okay, now that one also is, is not in the Bible, although that is sometimes how we live, right? We do it to them before they can do it to, to us. But what we do know is that it is in the Bible, and Jesus does tell us to do unto others as um, we would have them do unto us. And it's that very scripture that we come to this morning. You might have heard it um, by the phrase, the golden rule, although it is never called the golden rule in scripture. In fact, the reason it is called the Golden Rule is because a Roman emperor by the name of Alexander Severus in A.D. 200 had this saying engraved on his wall in his palace in gold. So he had this saying. He was not a Christian. He was actually a pagan, but he was so impressed by the words of Christ that he had them put on his wall in gold. And what we know is it's a whole lot easier to put these words on our wall than it is to put them into practice. Um, it's, it's much less costly to write them in gold on walls than it is to write them on our hearts in obedience, to be obedient to this rule. I think of the words of Matthew, Matthew Henry, the great Puritan, who said, Christ came to teach us not only what we are to know and to believe, but what we are to do. What we are to do not only toward God, but also toward men not only toward our fellow disciples, those of our party and persuasion, but towards men in general. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to take a look at the sayings, this saying of Jesus that we call the golden rule, all the while asking the question today, what does Jesus really want to teach us through it? What does it mean for us to, put, to let this be the rule of our lives? So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read one verse together. We've got some other verses we're going to come to in just a few minutes. But Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, and it says this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today. 
We thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you, Father, for, Lord, your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you, Jesus, for just the truth of this command to do unto others as we would have them do unto us and help us to understand today what that means in our lives, Father, going forward. And help us to celebrate um, the one who has done that perfectly. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So how many of you in here have ever heard of the silver rule? Okay, so we've heard of the golden rule. We just maybe not have heard of the silver rule. But the silver rule has sometimes been described as the golden rule in negative form. It is the golden rule without the gold. Meaning, the silver rule is the universal proverb that shows up all over the world in every religion and in most cultural traditions. So just think about this. Hinduism says or teaches, this is the sum of duty. Do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. Buddhism teaches, hurt not others in ways you yourself find hurtful. Confucius taught, what you do not wish anyone to do to you, do to no other. And then Jewish tradition even taught, what is displeasing to you, do to no one else. That is the whole Torah. So all of, most of these examples that we get, what is called the silver rule, is the negative form. Don't do it because somebody else might do it uh, to you. The problem is that rule, this picture of the silver rule, misses the mark. In 1964, there was a case that shook this country at its foundation. There was a woman by the name of Catherine Genovese who was returning from a night job to her apartment in the respect, respectable Kew Gardens area of New York City. As she approached her home in the early hours, she was attacked by a knife-wielding assailant. He stabbed her repeatedly, fleeing the scene as she screamed for help, only to return when no one came to her assistance. He returned and stabbed her again and again and again until she died. The subsequent police investigation revealed that 38 residents of the neighborhood admitted that they witnessed a part of this attack. Yet no one went to her aid. Get this, no one even called the police. The nation was outraged and everyone wanted to know how could this have happened. Unfortunately, the question is not hard to answer. And let me say it this way. For many people live by the principle of the silver rule, yet the underlying thought of that principle is that your problems are not my problems. Your problems aren't my problems. My only goal is to make sure that you do not become a problem for me. So this is the, the goal of most people's lives. Your problems don't mean my problems. Um, my problems should be your problems, but my ultimate goal is to make sure that you do not become a problem for me. And as we're going to continue to see that the silver rule crashes and burns every time, as, as we see that, I pray that instead the golden rule will be lifted high and exalted today as the, the God-given standard that it is. And so in the next few minutes, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack three truths that I believe just, just rise to the top when we think about this rule, the golden rule, this command given up to us by Christ. So the, the first truth is this. The golden rule shows us our duty before man. It shows us our duty before man. Jesus said, whatever you wish that others do to you, do also to them. And when you think about the teaching of the silver rule, 
Basically, you don't do something to someone because they'll do it back to you. What it really reveals is the selfishness of man. The thought is, if I don't do anything bad to you, you won't do it back to me. Therefore, the rule centers around me. And the emotion of the civil rule is fear. That is not true of the golden rule. In the golden rule, it does not center around me. The golden rule centers around others. And the emotion that leads us or compels us is not fear, but love. A self-sacrificing kind of love that can only come from God. And what Christ knows is, get this, Christ knows that self-love and the instinct to protect ourselves are powerful forces in our lives. Our love for ourselves is a powerful force. Our desire to protect ourselves is a powerful force. In fact, they are so powerful, they often keep us from caring about other people. One theologian put it this way, where our own advantage is concerned, there is not one of us who cannot go into detail, chapter and verse, on the extent of our rights. Everyone shows himself to be an exact scholar of justice when it benefits them. But when it benefits others, that is another matter. Meaning, we are great, great, great at defending ourselves. We are not very good at defending other people. We are great at looking out for ourselves. We're not very good at looking out for the interest of, of others. So what Jesus is saying is this. Jesus is saying, I, I know your instincts to protect yourself and advance yourself, but instead I'm telling you to deny those instincts for the good of others. Everyone thinks that the golden rule is a great guideline for life, but let's be honest, how are we doing? Apply this rule today. Just, just think about this. Apply the golden rule to your most difficult relationship right now. Maybe you're here and you have a husband or wife, maybe a, a parent or, or child, a family member, a, a friend, a co-worker that has hurt you and you believe that this relationship is now beyond repair. And every time another hurt is added to you, that the pain flows over you like a wave. And the hurt is so intense that you can hardly even think straight. You find yourself either snapping back in anger at that person, or you find yourself just wanting to isolate yourself from that person for protection. How is your instinct in that moment for looking out for their best interest? Or how about in your relationships with people who are very different from you? People who you have nothing in common with socially, economically, racially, even morally? How do we, when we think about the lost people, how do we look out for the best interests of lost people? If you were a lost person, and let me say, if you're here in this room and you were a Christian, then one time you were a lost person, how would you want someone sharing the truth with you? How would you want someone responding to you in your lostness? Does your heart go out to all of these people the way that Jesus' heart goes out to them? Do we treat them the way Jesus has called us to treat them? And the ultimate question is this. Why should we behave in this manner? Why in the world should we love or do to others as we would have them do unto us? And I love what Jesus does here. Jesus, or I love what he doesn't do. Jesus doesn't say, hey, if you treat other people like you want them to treat you or you would like them to treat you, then they will eventually treat you that way. That's not what he says. Jesus doesn't say treat people good so that they'll treat you good. Jesus knows that if 
you can treat people good and sometimes they will still mistreat you. But what he's telling us is this. Such behavior, when we treat people the way that we would want to be treated, we are walking in obedience to the revealed will of God. Or as Jesus says at the end of verse 12, for this is the law and the prophets. It's amazing to me the number of people who, who think that the, the theme of the Old Testament in terms of relationship to humans, the theme of the Old Testament is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and they think that the theme of the New Testament then is love your neighbor. And unfortunately, that is not true. That's not the picture. In fact, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 22. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 22. Let me show you something real quick. In Matthew chapter 22, of kind of what Jesus says was the command, not just in the New Testament, but from the very beginning. So Matthew chapter 22, and look what it says in verse 35 uh, through 40. It says, And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is saying, listen, the, the theme has always been, the command has always been love God, love others. Love God, love others. Yet the truth is we cannot love God without loving others, and we cannot love others without loving God. We just cannot do it. And let me just say this. This command to love our neighbor as ourselves is not for cowards. This command is not, not for cowards because this command will expose things in us that we don't want exposed. It will reveal things in us that we don't want revealed. Mainly, it reveals how we view people. Calvin Miller, in his book, The Taste of Joy, writes these words, and these words are so powerfully convicting. He says, Christians declare superficially that they love the whole world while they permit themselves animosities within their immediate world. World love is their philosophical credo, but loving the world at large can only be done by loving face to face the world that is not so distant. And then he writes this, it is foolish to say that we love humanity when it's people we can't stand. Think about that. It is foolish to say I love the world when we hate the people that are right around us. When we are having hatred in our heart towards other people. So the command of Christ is clear. We treat others, which includes other Christians, includes family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers. Get this, even enemies. We treat them the way we want to be treated. And we do it all for the glory of God. So the golden rule shows our duty before man, all for the glory of God. And the second truth is this. The golden rule then shows our inability before God. The golden rule shows our inability before God. Because if we're honest, and as I say always, the church is a very good place to be honest in. So if we're honest, no place to be honest at like right now. When left to ourselves, this is normally not how we treat people. On our own, we normally don't treat people like this. Oftentimes, we live as if the commandment st st states or says, 
Whatever you wish that someone would do to or for you, do it to and for yourself first. That's how we often hear the command. Whatever I want someone to do to me, I'll just do it for myself first. And then eventually I might get around to caring for you. But there's something about the clarity of the golden rule that reveals how unable we are before God. That This isn't something that we can consistently do on our own. I'm not saying that we can't do good things for people. I mean, we live in a world where a horrific event happens and people who don't claim Christ jump on the scene and do good things to people. What I'm saying is, apart from Christ, this isn't something we can do consistently. Just can't. In fact, turn with me real quick to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I'm going to show you something. and This is a scripture that we're very, very, very familiar with. But Luke chapter 10 it's a parable of the, the Good Samaritan. I'm going to just show you real quick this picture of how we are unable to let this be the standard of our, of our lives. Beginning at verse 25, another lawyer steps up. It says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He, being Jesus, said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There it is again. And he, meaning Jesus, said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, the the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. And let me just say this. On our own, there are times where we have been moved with compassion the way the Good Samaritan was moved, where we see the needs of others and we jump on those needs and we meet those needs. But let me also say this. There have also been times where we have been the Levites and the priests, where we have seen the needs of others and we have turned our heads and we have walked on by, saying, I don't have time for this. I'm too busy. Or that person just looks too messy for me to deal with right now. And there have been times, and let me say this, there have been other times where we have been the robbers, where we have physically or verbally stripped people down, leaving them for dead. There have been times where we have been all of those things, and the the point is, on our own, we can't always consistently be the Good Samaritan. And speaking about the fulfillment of the law and prophets, Jesus told this lawyer, do this. Love God and love others. Do this and you will live. So Jesus is saying, if you do this, if you do this 
to perfection. If you do this without any error, you will live. The problem is we are unable to do it. We cannot, we do not have the ability to continually love God and love others on our own. We cannot continually walk in goodness towards other people. John Stott says, such love is beyond us apart from the grace of Christ. None of us in this room can say that we have perfectly upheld this rule of doing unto others as we would have them do unto us. We're unable. Yet there's another picture here of inability that I want you to see. For Jesus is not giving us the golden rule saying, if you do this, you will earn salvation. Jesus is not saying, do good to people and you will be saved. Think about this. Jesus loves us so much that he wants to rescue us from the lie that we can save ourselves. Therefore, the essence of the gospel, hear this, the essence of the gospel is not love God and love others and earn something. The essence of the gospel is God loved you first. That's the essence of the gospel. Not love him, love others, earn something. That's not the gospel. The gospel is God loved us first. Isn't that good news? That's good news every day of the week. And then everything flows from his love for us. So ultimately what Jesus is doing is he's commanding those of us that are already citizens of the kingdom to seek to order our lives by this command by which we put people ahead of ourselves. Something that we cannot do on our own apart from his help. So the golden rule shows our duty before man, it shows our inability before God, but then lastly, the golden rule shows us our identity in Christ. It shows us our identity in Christ. I think about what, what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to fulfill them. Think about that. Jesus had just told us that the overall picture of the law and the prophets is to love God and love others. So Jesus is saying, I didn't come to do away with that. I came to fulfill that. So what Jesus did in his life on this earth is he loved God perfectly and he loved others perfectly. And he fulfilled that in his life. And although, as I just said earlier, this rule or a picture of this rule is not unique to Christianity. What is unique is that God became man and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Therefore, we are not on a journey to find God. Don't, don't think of yourself as, I'm on a journey to find God. No, God has come down in the person of Jesus Christ on a journey to find you. That's the picture of the gospel. And in walking this earth, Jesus, through his perfect life, fulfilled the law and the prophets. He loved God. He loved other people. Yet don't miss this truth because this is where it gets really, really, really good for us. For there is no one who has treated you as well as Jesus has treated you. Think about these words, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and no one has done any better to us like Jesus has done to us. He has done for us or unto us as no other has done unto us. There is no one who has done more for you than Jesus has done for you.
He loves you. He's lavished his mercy and his grace upon you. All the while, we do nothing to earn it. And because of, and only because of our response to that love, we are found in him. Listen to what Philippians 2 says, which kind of gives us this picture of our identity. Paul says in Philippians 2, 4 through 5, let each of you, so if you're a Christian, he's talking to you. Let each one of us, let each of you, he says, look out not only for his own interest, that comes naturally, but also to the interest of others. So don't look out just for your interest. Look out for the interest of others. And then he says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, don't just look out for yourself. Look out for others. And have that mindset, which is yours in Christ. Because you're in Christ, that mindset is yours. And again, we're not lifting the golden rule out of self-interest. We're not saying if we do good to others, they're going to do good to us. That is not always going to be the case. Jesus came and did good to everyone, and yet he ended up on a cross. I read a, a quote this week that said, If you want to follow Jesus, you better like wood. Just think about that. If we're going to follow Jesus, you better like wood, because that's where things ended for him. We're not lifting high this rule because of self-interest. We're lifting high this rule because of Jesus, the one who died for us, made this a command so that he might ultimately be glorified in it and through it. Therefore, as believers, our task is this. We do unto others as, as Jesus has done unto us. Let me say it again. Do unto others as Jesus has done unto us. And now, not, what I'm not saying is this. I'm not saying that we go and we die for other people um, so that they can have salvation. No, Jesus has already done that. What I'm saying is we put other people's interests above ourselves because that's what Jesus did for us. He emptied himself. He, he humbled himself for the sake of what we needed most. Do we love others like that? Oh, to God that we would. I tell you, I cannot even begin to imagine what our church would be like if, if that, through the empowering of God, by the grace of God, became the way we lived. We just want to love God and we just want to love others. And we want to put people above ourselves. Regardless of what that means. And let me say this. If you are here today and you're not a Christian... Do not try to make this rule your way to heaven as if you can earn your way. Instead, trust the one who has already perfectly kept this rule. Trust the one who has done for you what you can never do for yourself. Trust the one who has loved you perfectly, has died for you gruesomely, has risen from the dead powerfully, and is able to save you eternally. Trust that one. Trust him now and trust him forever. I want to end today with the words of Edwin Markham who, who says this, and I think this is very true. He says, we have committed the golden rule to memory. Now let us commit it to life. We've committed it to memory. We know it by memory, but let us commit it to life. 
Let it be more than just words that we can repeat or recite. Let it be a way that we live. And let us follow Christ, and therefore let us do to others as Jesus has done unto us, all for the glory of God. With that said, I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to enter into this time of invitation and consecration. And as we do so, what we're going to ask is that whatever God is saying to you, that you would do it. So that God may be glorified in, in this time. So, as Brother Frank and the musicians come, let's, let's pray together. Father, we come before you now. Understanding that this, uh, this command is a little bit more than what we might have thought. God, it's, it goes a little bit deeper than sometimes we could even imagine. But yet, this truth is so powerful and so amazing. And it's so perfectly fulfilled for us in Jesus who did unto us did for us what we could never do for ourselves for every believer in this room God I pray that you would help us all in following Christ to put the interest of others above ourselves to not just love you but love others and realize God that we cannot love you Truly, if we're not loving others. And we can't love others if we're not loving you. Now just bring us back to that. Bring us back to a love for you, that we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And bring us back to a love for each other. Even a love for our enemies. That we do for them what we would want done to us. And we do it not to get recognized. We do it not so that it will be returned to us. We do it, God, so that you may be glorified. That this world may see our good works and it bring glory to you. And Lord, I pray for anyone in this room today that does not know you. That maybe has, was here and to this point has been trusting in doing good things and figuring that they can earn their way. And I pray today that you would show them that we have not perfectly done this. Therefore, God, we are guilty before you. And our only hope is to trust the one who has perfectly done for us what we could not do for ourselves. Lord, may anyone who's here today or who will be here today that doesn't know you, may today be the day that they turn from themselves, turn from sin, and turn to you, Jesus Christ, as Savior and Lord. Lord, we just thank you, O oh God, that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we stand today in this room, God, thanking you for saving us. God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. May we all know it. May we all share it. In Jesus' name, amen.